Hello and welcome to OTP Volunteer Table. I'm Don Kuehlhorn. One of the pleasures of working with this podcast is that I get to meet people whom I've seen around the Playhouse for years and yet just never really talked to. Sharif and Madden has been one of those people. She's been with the Playhouse for on and off for 20 years, and yet I never, never really got to know her. Well, here's my or our chance. Sharif and Madden. Got sound going. We got everything else going. It's nice. It's, uh, so 11 o'clock is easier for you than 8 a.m., huh? Well, I teach a lesson at 7 a.m. Ah. Because I have a kid in China who is not traveling because of the pandemic. But I would rather not go straight from a lesson into something else, you know? Uh, I can certainly understand that. Okay, And 5 a.m. for me is a little struggle. Yeah. I generally get up at 5.30, and I have no idea why. When I'm in Traverse, I don't get up that early. But since I've been here, 5.30 is when I wake up, and there it is. The light, the light really affects me. So I can stay up longer as the light gets longer and longer, and, and I really want to go to bed at like 9 o'clock right. in February. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, this uh, – we're – here in Portland, we're one degree south. So you, Seattle is about 45. Okay. And we're about 44. So it's it's the same right. light thing, but it's it's certainly odd, and it, it, it's crazy stuff. All right, so I'm going to start my uh, counter and welcome um, Cherie Van Manen. That is how you pronounce it, right, Van Manen? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Regardless of the spelling, that's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for giving us some time at OTP Volunteer Table. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm doing like everybody in this pandemic, right? Yep. I mean. Yeah. Things are going okay, but but then you stop and you look around and you go, "Wow, we're really dealing with all of this." It's uh, you can read about it all you want the 1907 Spanish flu and and the stuff, but when you're in it, it's just it's weird. It's, it's weird. really crazy. I made plane yeah. ticket reservations the other day for the first time in however long. I I flew in February before we locked down. I had to travel for interlocking. And then we locked down, haven't flown since. And I made plane reservations for the end of March because I have now been vaccinated thanks to being a teacher. And my father, who is 82, has now been vaccinated. And it's just he and I and my daughter in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not, I didn't say that right, my daughter. Um, so I'm going to go down and see him. We lost my mother uh, in October of 19. And my intent was to go visit him like every two months. Mm-hmm. And because I can do that, I can go down for, for a, you know, a weekend and just go see dad for a weekend. But the pandemic hit and I haven't seen him. Right. So now that we're both vaccinated and they're starting to say, and I'm crossing my fingers as I say this, that you are unlikely to be a carrier if you've been vaccinated. And because he's also vaccinated, then I think I'm going to go see him. Right. Right. Well, I'm uh, I'm scheduled in April to go to Florida, visit uh, a friend who's having her 70th. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll be vaccinated by then. I'm not, we're still trying to figure it out here. Well, they are st- trying to figure it out here in Portland. And um, 
Uh, we'll find out. Hopefully, I've got a month, month and a half. Should be able to get it and squeeze it in. All right, let's talk about you and uh, Old Town Playhouse. And um, how did you get to Old Town Playhouse? Well, I moved up here in '02 to start working for Interlochen. And I teach, I'm a professional musician. I teach composition. My degrees are in composition, music composition. But when you go to school for that, you're also playing an instrument. So I'm, I was, you know, playing flute, learning saxophone, doing some things like this. And I had started playing in Houston, which is where I was from, uh, for many organizations in town. But one of them was a musical theater um, group. And I loved playing musical theater. First of all, they were my friends. They had started this group up in the woodlands. And um, I enjoyed playing for them just because they were my friends. But I also realized how much I enjoyed playing in the pit. I enjoyed that kind of collaboration. So when we moved up here, um, we learned about a group called the Encore Wind Ensemble. Mm-hmm. It's a concert band group. And through that organization, I met a lot of the people who also play at Old Town Playhouse, and I learned about Old Town Playhouse. I started talking to Joe Rice, and I think I insulted him. I didn't mean to. But I'd been playing professionally. I'd been playing, making quite a bit of money playing these gigs in Houston. So he said, hey, would you like to play a show? I said, yeah, what does it pay? And he said, well, it doesn't pay anything. It's a volunteer group. And I said, okay, I can get behind that. Volunteer group, wonderful, I can do that. How many rehearsals? And remember, professional musician, I'm used to the answer being three and a dress rehearsal. And he said, 26. And I started laughing. <laughs> and, and later came to learn that everybody, is, it's, it's a family. And you show up, you haven't practiced your music in advance. You start together, you learn it together, you go into the production all learning it at the same rate. And I came from the tradition of you learn it before you show up for the first rehearsal, right? That's what you do because they're paying you to do that. Um, and so it very quickly became a family as I got to know everybody. And, and while I still don't prefer 26 rehearsals, um, I enjoy the time I spend with everybody there. <laughs> 26, I'm going to say is excessive, but then again, Whenever I'm in a show, since I'm not in the pit, I'm generally on stage. There was a whole lot more rehearsals. So, well, that was 0203, and I don't yeah. believe, I don't think any show I've been in since has had that many rehearsals. It has been, it, it's been streamlined. The whole process has been right. changed quite a bit. But uh, still, it's still a, a, a big rehearsal process. So why did you stay? Is it the family thing that just kept bringing you back? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I was making friends. I, I'm new in town, and I was at, I joined the Interlochen faculty at a time when when folks who were my age then, there weren't that many of us. There were a lot of faculty members who were 10 or 15 years older. Um, there were a few faculty members who were 10 years younger, but I was in this age range where there just weren't a lot of faculty members my age. It's different now. People have come and gone. They've hired different folks. But um, I didn't. I didn't at first at Interlochen find my niche with friends. Right. Um, so Old Town Playhouse was meeting that need, and I kept coming back. I had a lot of gaps because my daughter was so young. She was two when I moved here. 
So I might do a show one year and there might be two or three years that went by before I could do something else, you know. Uh, now I can do just, she's in college, I can do almost anything I want. But it took a while. But I'm always trying to encourage people, especially with young children, do what you can when you can and don't feel guilty about it. Just right. come back to us when you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I I never participate. No, never interacted with the uh, orchestra that much because, of course, they would come in. They'd sit in their own little area. Um, I did take photographs of the players um, and trying to get the names for the website and, and things. Did I see you playing oboe? No. No. No, I can play flute and I can play saxophone. And if and I usually play what's called read one in the orchestra, which is usually the the primary flute part or right. the primary sax part, or both. And sometimes it calls for oboe and clarinet, but if it does, I will transpose that for for myself for either flute or saxophone. Okay. You know, or we'll do a cut and paste job in the orchestra. I don't know if a lot of people know we do that. Uh, if the person sitting next to me is a clarinet player, and there's a lot of clarinet parts in my read book. Then we and there's a lot of flute parts in theirs. So we might just kind of cut and paste the parts so that I'm handling everything flute, and they're handling everything clarinet. And we make that work. Right, right. Uh, I do remember you being in there, and I always thought somehow I had this uh, hook up with an oboe. However, we had very few pieces that would ever require an oboe. Yeah, uh, in the in the band, but. Uh, so that's what I had. And then the shock of shocks, you actually got on stage. <laughs> so I was sitting, you know, our, our pit for a while was um, on the main floor, raised a little bit, but on the main floor, very tiny. And, and we just fit in how we could. And sometimes I wouldn't be sitting with another flute player. I'd be sitting with a trumpet player. And I don't know if he remembers this, but... I can remember we were watching a rehearsal. I don't even remember the show. And somebody came on stage and delivered their line, and it was hysterical. And this is a practice. This was not during the show. They delivered it, and it was absolutely hysterical. And at the next rehearsal, they delivered it slightly differently, and it fell flat. And so I was sitting next to Bill Frome at the time, who plays trumpet. And we were having this conversation, and I said, if she would just do it like this and time it this way. And we got into a conversation and he called me out. He said, you can't say that unless you're willing to get up on stage and do it yourself. And I thought about that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I auditioned. My first audition ever was Beauty and the Beast, which I think was 05 because I remember my, my Annie being five years old. I remember you in beauty, but it, it, I'm not sure. I believe what was the one that you just did with Kerr a couple of years ago? Um, well, the ones I've been in most recently are um, Mamma Mia and Elf and Tommy. Okay. Um, I was also in, I'm trying to think what I was on stage for. I was, I played for many musicals. Right. I was on stage for um, Into the Woods as Jack's mom. Lars Kelto got to kill me in that. That was a lot of fun. Um, 
Oh, and Sweet Charity. I was hmm. on stage for Sweet Charity. I can't remember the one that just, um, maybe it was the first one, I mean, but there was a, a point when all of a sudden I looked and I said, well, you're, you're an orchestra member. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that usually doesn't, I mean, obviously it doesn't happen that often that uh, pit players stay in the pit. Most of them don't want to be seen per se. Um, and so when one came out, wow, look at that. And she's pretty decent too. Wow. Pretty decent. Phil, Phil Murphy directed Beauty and the Beast. And I walked into that with no knowledge of how to do anything on stage. And I treated it as if I were in an orchestra rehearsal, which means that the conductor, you, you learn your part, but the conductor tells you what to do through how they conduct, right? Or through rehearsals. And I kept waiting for Phil to do that. And Phil would say, well, just do this. And I was like, I need more information, Phil. I need, I need to show me what you want. Tell me what you want. And it took me a while to figure out that as long as I was trying different things and just tr figuring out how to make it work, and he didn't say, I don't like that, that it was okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that, that's been a really good learning curve for me. Um, two different perspectives on how a director versus a conductor would work. You know, the conductor needing it to be very precise so that it works for the people on stage um, or for the musical piece if it's a, a symphony orchestra. And the director allowing it to be a little less precise as long as it fits within the vision they have. Mm -hmm. Just bring a character to life in the way that you can. Right. Now, after being on stage, I mean, one of the one of the benefits of being on stage is at the end of the play, they applaud you. And he, the applause is a spillover into the orchestra because when they're there, they're certainly part of it. But they, you never get the individual recognition. Is that uh, is that something that's a hook for you now? Is, well, you've been a professional. No, uh, yeah, I, I've been a professional musician and and have played in many kinds of situations, chamber musician solos, and things where you get you get that applause. So that that. It was just different because it's a more enthusiastic applause from a theater than it is necessarily a classical group of mm -hmm. audience goers. Yeah. Yes, a little old uh, tapping on the on the palm from the <laughs> classical people. Let's not be too loud. <laughs> All right, and now um, I just talked with Terry a while ago about phantasms of a fevered imagination. Uh, where did that come from? How did well? Where did it come from first? And then uh, it came from Terry. I was I went out to Two Lads Winery where she works, and I was with a friend, and we were just doing a wine tasting. And Terry happened to be our person who was helping us with the tasting. And she said, "You know, now that I see you, I'd like to talk to you about an idea that I have." And it ended up being phantasms. And her idea was, you know, this is a pandemic. How are we going to do things? for the playhouse during a pandemic where we can't have an audience. And so the original idea was to read the, the poetry that she had selected or the stories that she had selected. And, um, and she said, maybe we could have some music that went along with it. And I, and I just took it a step further and said, what if there was music all the way through it that was tied together in ways and made use of the piano in a unique way. And our recording never really got at the sounds that were happening 
in the performance itself. I hope someday we can do this performance live uh, for folks because the recording never got the, the interior sounds of the piano, which were pretty esoteric and ethereal. Um, some of the reverberations in the way that they worked. But we had a good time. I wrote the music for that um, and had a really good time doing it. I had just bought for myself a bass flute. And again, I bought that right before the pandemic started, and now I have this new instrument. I can't play it anywhere because we're in a pandemic. So I said, let me write this for you, and I'm going to write it for bass flute because I'm going <laughs> to play this instrument and do some things with it. So we And we just had a good time going back and forth. Once the actors started getting together with uh, Tony Biro and myself, he was the piano player and I, and I played the flutes, um, I would change some of the music sometimes to accommodate what they were doing. For example, when I heard Maria McCain read her part, um, and my mind has gone blank on the name of the story now, um, but when she read her part, her voice was so creepy. She had captured that character so well that I added some things into the piano to underscore that and, and offset it a little bit. So it was fun to work from that point of view. Mm -hmm. So what, that, that's, that's your degree composition. So mm -hmm. you've, uh, you, you used your knowledge. How do you, where do you start with, um, what was the, the name of the, 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 the name of the piano adjustment that you did putting oh like, it's called prepared piano prepared piano how do you how do you get there well i knew that i wanted some creepy stuff and and terry and i had a, a conversation about not worrying too much if this was kind of on the nose right um let's just make it halloween let's make it creepy let's make it fun let's do some unusual sounds and I have a, because I have degrees in composition and because this is what I teach, I have a, a pretty good knowledge about music history and what is out there, what's possible. Um, and so prepared piano was not anything new to me, but I had not written for it before. And I started thinking about doing some interior piano work rather than regular piano playing mm -hmm. um, with the bass flute. Uh, and I had just bought a looper. And for anybody listening who doesn't know it, it's sort of like when you were a kid and you would take an old tape recorder and you'd, you'd make a tape of yourself and then you'd re-record over it and now there's two of you, right? And then you can re-record over it and now there's three of you. And, and so you have to do it a certain way, but right. right. So I just bought a looper, which makes that really easy to do. And I could create several lines on bass flute and then I could play my flute on top of that and add in these sounds of the prepared piano. I spent a long time just trying different things. There were screws in the piano uh, dangling between the, the strings to create some, to change the sound of the string, but also to create a rattling sound. Um, I was using percussion mallets to physically play the strings inside the piano as if it was a percussion instrument inside. I mean, the piano is actually a percussion instrument because of how it's played. Um, what else did I have? Oh, Tony, I had Tony doing some prepared piano work where he was taking guitar um, picks and plucking the strings with those. Um, and then and then we would just drag things on the strings. And, and I have a friend who's a tuner, 
piano tuner from Interlochen, and I could say what will harm the piano and what will not harm the piano. Right. Right. What can I do? And and the biggest thing is you can do almost anything as long as you don't touch the strings with your hands. You need to wear gloves. Um, now I made an exception because it was my piano in that in that video, and I touched it so very little, and I needed to move quickly back to flute. Um, but I had my piano tuner come right back out afterwards and take care of the piano and the strings, you know. But the oil from your fingers, if you do too much of it, mm-hmm. can be really bad for the strings. So, Right. And now it's, um, I assume, collect dust, but is there something more that, it, that the oil might do? It it will it can corrode the strings. Oh, corroding, okay. So you'd have to have them replaced. But um, there was so you know most of the interior piano work was done with mallets or like I said a guitar pick or I had some chopsticks right. in there as well. So that once I had found what sound I wanted, I didn't have to touch with my my fingers very much during the performance. Mm-hmm. I was just going to get to this sound. You said that it didn't come through on the recording. Not a lot of it. A lot of it did, but, but a lot of it didn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, uh, I'm guess getting to the point that you practiced this and and you found sounds before you actually did the performance. So it wasn't like, let's hope for the best here. You were actually looking at some of the places um, that you had the screws, the chopsticks, however you worked mm-hmm. it, um, figured into the music indicator so that you yeah. knew what sounds you were hoping to get out. Yeah, right. it was very specific. And once I found it, um, there's actually, I have this music. It's actually written down in notated music, um, but you have to include a page of directions. So if somebody wanted to recreate this, for example, somewhere else, I have measurements on the A-flat string, place a screw of approximate this diameter and this weight so many inches away from a piano node. Um, so there are very specific uh, mechanics as to how to recreate this, and I have all of that written down. So that once I had found these sounds, it after that it was no longer a kind of a get lucky to find a sound. It was, this is the sound I'm going to get every time I hit this. Right. You know, it's right. it's... That's and that's where the word prepared really comes from. So it's very specifically done for to to achieve a certain kind of effect. All right. How long did it take you to set up the piano to do what you wanted? Once I found the sounds not very long. Um I had to leave it. And one of the reasons I had the piano tuner come back when this was all over was that about early September I found the sounds I wanted. And when I did, I left the screws and everything in place as I composed the pieces, the various uh, things that were done. And so my piano stayed in that condition until November mm-hmm. with all of that, the mechanics in, inside done to it. And so I wanted to have my tuner come back. And I, and I asked him, I said, can I leave this here? You know, there, there's several screws where I had pulled the strings apart and slipped the screw down in between them. I said, it won't hurt it. Uh, unless it's an extreme pulling apart, and it wasn't. It was just a little bit to get the screw down in there. Right. Um, so it stayed that way for a couple of months, and but then he came back and retuned for me and made sure everything was okay. So how long did it take you to clean it up? Mm, 15 minutes. 
the the standard thing. I just rewatched a, uh, a, a time lapse that I had of building a set, constructing a set, and tearing it down. The construction mm-hmm. several weeks, the tear down one day. So right. it's a cool thing. All right, what's yeah. next for Sherry Van Madden? Well, I'm I'm part of our artistic committee. I'm the chair of the artistic committee right now. And we are working on what we can do to encourage audiences to come back and feel safe, right? We are specifically choosing shows that have smaller casts for the fall of 21, uh, hoping that we can come back in the fall of 21. Um, in, in an effort to not only say to our audiences, hey, we're, we're cleaning beautifully between events, but also, we don't have a cast of thousands up on stage. We have a cast, this show has a cast of four, or this show has a cast of six. We're going to keep that small. When we think that we can really get uh, large again, large shows, is spring of 22. Um, and I'm not going to give away any shows, but, but that's where our big musicals are located. Mm-hmm. Uh, spring of 22. And I hope that I can be in one of those. All right. <laughs> on stage is that what you hope to be in there is a part i would really like and if i don't happen to get it i would be happy to be in the orchestra pit okay well that's great i know that there's a it's it's really a struggle for the artistic uh, committee to pick plays because we just don't know yet right it's a, it's a we, we have several plans in place we have what we want to happen for next year starting in september and then we have a plan b in case we can't open in september and we have a plan C in case we can't open in the fall. And, and we're all just sending up prayers and crossing our fingers and, you know. We have the tent. We have the tent coming in summer. That's going to be fabulous. We'll have to do something. Well, Shereven Manon, thank you so much for the time you gave me and the information and all of this. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get back with you sometime um, next year when we're on the boards and see if you did get cast. See if I got cast, yeah. Thank you, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you, Cherie. Well, this brings to a close another episode of OTP Volunteer Table. My thanks to Cherie Manon for giving me some of her time. If you'd like to know more about Phantasm of a Fevered Imagination, go to YouTube Search for Old Town Playhouse, and you'll find not only Phantasm of a Fevered Imagination, but a whole lot more of things that we've put out over the years. If you'd like to know more about Cherie, or you'd like to know more about anybody else we've chatted with over the season, if you'd like to share your story, if you'd like to know if you have any questions or concerns, send an email off to office at oldtownplayhouse.com. That's office at oldtownplayhouse.com. Our music today was Talkies by Hama Hama. OTP Volunteer Table is brought to you in association with the Old Town Playhouse of Traverse City, Michigan. I am Don Kuhlhorn, and we will see you on the boards. (laughs) ¶¶